Goaltending wins NHL championships. That's always been to me a required piece. You can scour through some one-off average goalies behind really elite teams that have won the cup, but it holds true that goaltending is the key to the Stanley Cup. Earlier in the pod, I also correlated that teams underachieving expectations and coaches under fire also is often due to the instability or simply poor goaltending. That's what gets coaches fired. If you ask me the best way to tank in the NHL, I'm pretty sure I've shared this on previous podcasts as teams GMs attempt to tank. It all comes back to having the opposite of what a championship team needs, and that's great goaltending. A tank team needs below average goaltending or worse to not steal too many games and end up higher in the standings. In fairness, not being able to score any goals in combination with below-average goaltending is a really good tank combo, and the goals against numbers for both Arizona and Chicago aren't the worst in the Western Conference. In fact, not even the division. St. Louis's goals against is the Central Division's worst to this point of the year. What the numbers are showing, with a slightly better goal production, Arizona with goaltending is keeping them in close games. In fact, they have won a bit more than Chicago, who has less goal production. There have been nights where Arizona goalie Corel Vamelka steals games that by an Arizona goal, the team ends up winning. And Chicago simply gets that far less often from the now three goalies used by the Blackhawks this year so far. I dabbled at the goals saved above expected marks when I talked about St. Louis and Jordan Bennington a podcast ago. But let's look at our division seller dweller tenders. And this is according to Money Puck and includes up to Monday, December 12th games. The top of the list is Arizona's Corel Vamelka with a 15.8 goal saved above expected. Yep, that's better than anybody else in the NHL. It's in fact 0.7 better than Winnipeg's Connor Hellebuck's 15.1 who ranks second. And Vamelka with 19 games played is Arizona's clear starting goalie. I thought in his sophomore season, teams would have a book on some of Veggie's tendencies and cheats to exploit them. Instead, this year, Vamelka looks to have shored up those areas more so than other teams are taking advantage of them. Does Arizona have a goalie coach? Has it been the same guy for a few years? Because they have a track record of taking cast-off goalies and turning them into consistent NHL starting goalies with frequency or at least reliable backups. It's an actual thing. Chicago's best goalie is the injured Alex Stalock. Seven games played, a .9 goal saved above expected. Prospect but playing the most, Arvid Soderbrom, 13 games played, is .1 goals saved above expected. Soderbloom is nearly just saving what is expected and nothing more or less. Ranked 69th and 70th is Chicago's expected to be, but also on and off, oft injured, Peter Morazic, nine games played and a minus 7.4 goal saved above expected. And that does not include 
the last game included in this podcast, Chicago played, where he allowed seven goals against. Let's be clear. It means Mrazek is making less saves than what is expected. Chicago, with a healthy Mrazek, probably give up more goals than with Soderblom in net. Arizona waiver wire pickup via Nashville goalie Connor Ingram is a minus 7.8 goal saved above expected in eight games played. By the way, Anaheim's off-considered elite goalie John Gibson was 68 when I looked at all these goalies at a minus 6.4 mark. We will not include Chicago goalie Dylan Wells' lone start in net. Arizona trading goalie Corral Vamelka when he is the best goalie in the goal saved above expected metric has to be a smart move. You have to consider it. Think about it. This could be his best return value point. He also is a 2.725 million cap hit this year and two additional years. That's undervalued by close to half most NHL starting goalies get as a $5 million per AAV. And if you don't like the fancy stats, Veggie's win-loss record is 8-8-3, eight, eight, and, and Ingram's is 1-6-1, playing in front of the same team. I think Ingram has backup NHL value, but he is still developing much like Soderblom is in Chicago. Neither should be starting on a tank team. It is simply to show that one thing Arizona has with two more wins and four more points in the same games played to Chicago is a standout goalie. He is playing too good for the Arizona tank at present. Welcome to Central Division Hockey, the podcast. I'm your NHL outsider and Central Division expert, Tim Bigelow. The primary recap is always put win or lose with the team with the better record, unless otherwise indicated. If you're a true podcast follower, you listen to them all. Remember, the beauty of the division pod is actually knowing the direct competition than just your favorite team alone. Tier 4 is the healthy scratch pair because if things go to the team's respective organizational plans, they are both near to the bottom of this year. NHL standings. These teams don't want to perform too well and end up bubble playoff teams. So far, so good. And that's why the healthy scratch seemed most fitting for the fourth division pairing. As was noted pre-regular season, the concern of Chicago being able to score goals is becoming more confirmed as an accurate take. It is the Blackhawks below the Yotes by four points in the standings in an equal total of games played uh, this season when the podcast was recorded. We talked off the top one of the major reasons Arizona is seventh in the Central is because of their starting goalie. 
Arizona finished the 14-game road trip, the last three games covered in this pod, 0-2-1. Arizona then won two consecutive home games before another road loss, 9-14-4 record, 22 points in 27 games played, to say 7th in the Central Division with a .407 point percentage. That's .008 point percentage below my before-the-season-started prediction for Arizona. It's pretty darn close. Arizona's Christian Fisher opens the scoring on a breakaway, but a Vancouver power play goal knots it at one after one. 152, Arizona's Jacob Chikrin's power play goal on the second has Arizona up 2-1 to one through 40. Vancouver's lone goal in the third forces extra time. In overtime, with under a minute left, Vancouver get a power play goal after Arizona takes a too-many-men penalty for a 3-2 overtime win by Vancouver over Arizona. Calgary gets two first-period goals, the second on a power play, to be up 2-0 after 20. Arizona Shane Gostas-Bear's middle frame goal through Nick Bukestad's net front screen makes it 2-1 through 40. In the third, Arizona's Jacob Chikrin's D-pinch goal, his third of the year, 5-50 in, ties it. But a Calgary power play with just under four left in regulation on a penalty Calgary drew on Arizona's Chikrin gives Calgary a 3-2 home win over Arizona. Edmonton less than five minutes in scored a power play goal and added another goal to be up 2-0 after one on Arizona in the final game of the 14-game NHL longest this year road trip for the Oats. Edmonton gets another power play goal and Jack McBain gets Arizona on the board before Edmonton had two more goals in the second to be up 5-1 through 40. Three more Edmonton third-period goals, and Arizona Shane Gostaspear's goal make it a lopsided 8-2 Arizona road loss in Edmonton. Arizona's deep pinch by Josh Brown opens the scoring 23 seconds into the game. A Boston power play goal before the five-minute mark ties it at one after 20. Arizona's Jacob Chikrin looks to score on the power play, but after review, the play prior it is determined to be just offside. Boston then take the lead in the second, and Arizona's loss in Krause ties it 40 seconds after the game's midpoint. Two all through 40. Arizona's Nick Schmaltz off the rush goal 53 seconds into the third is matched by another Boston power play goal in the back half. Arizona's loss in Krause's second goal on a waved off icing call with 14 seconds left in regulation gives Arizona a 4-3 win at home over Boston. The 46-16 shot and goal advantage for Boston was the second largest shot and goal disparity for a team with the lower shots on goal to win the game with this year. Colorado, by the way, was the other one that had more shot disparity in a game they won in Carolina. Arizona wins it in its return to the mullet. Arizona's Clayton Keller's power play goal is the only tally in the first for a 1-0 lead. Philadelphia get two less than two minutes apart by 4.08 of the second, the second goal during 4-on-4 play. Arizona's Keller's second, a breakaway goal, and Jack McBain restores Arizona's one-goal lead, but late in the middle frame, Philadelphia tie it at three all through 40. In the third, Arizona's Nick Ritchie scores on a breakaway, and Philadelphia 
6-on-5 tie it late to force overtime. That sets up Keller's hat trick overtime game-winning goal across the grain with 23 seconds left in the overtime for Arizona to win 5-4 in OT at home. By 4.52 of the first, San Jose are up two goals on a point shot deflected goal through traffic and a net front rebound goal. A late 5-on-3 Arizona power play goal, Lawson's Krause's team leading 13, makes it 2-1 San Jose after 20. Just under two minutes into the game's midpoint, former Wild and Av, Nico Sturm gets the lone goal for San Jose of the middle frame and a 3-1 lead for San Jose through 40. Four seconds shy of three minutes into the third, Arizona's Nick Bukestad's net front rebound goal makes it a one-goal game. Arizona's Jacob Chikrin rings it off the short side post later, but Arizona is not able to tie it up and fall 3-2 on the road in regulation to San Jose. The Arizona road trip ended 0-4-2 of the last six, the last three games of that we covered in this podcast. That had over the 14 games in a row on the road, Arizona B. Four, seven, and three. The long ass road trip did finally catch up to the Oats. However, the real lone blowout game was the final one they played in Edmonton. And and in saying that, they started strong on this road trip and finished with a whimper. Still, it was overall not as bad as some had anticipated it could turn out, as Arizona was right with Chicago even while playing all road games. Arizona then added a pair of wins at home, and that included the win over cup contender elite Boston. Yet, two games at home, Arizona was back again on the road in San Jose, and that helped the Yotes tank in the Sharks' tank by falling in a close regulation game. Arizona does have some common themes that emerge. They are often badly outshot by who they are playing, and they have a trend of usually being sole starters. Their ranking lasts 32nd in the league in shots on goal per game at 23.5. That's why, off the top, I talked about Arizona starting goalie Corral Vamelka and his goal saved above expected. That is because he has to have that type of above expected play to help Arizona win. It's been rarer for Arizona to get blown out by a lopsided score than it has been for division rival Chicago, if we compare the two teams this year. Arizona special teams have cooled off to be in the bottom half of the NHL now. Still, bright spots even with low offensive output is goal leader Lawson Krause with 13 goals, and now he is joined by team point leader Clayton Cower with his hat trick game to also have 10 goals and be a double-digit goal-getter. Having Nick Schmaltz back with four goals, seven points, and 12 games played helped too. The other was getting defenseman Jacob Chukran, who has more points at nine than Schmaltz, and he's a defenseman, of course, three goals in the fewer only 11 games played, near two point-per-game production. And what becomes interesting in Arizona's case, in Chukran's case, he is trying to play his way into successfully being traded. I'm making the argument now that, in fact, teams looking for a goalie might want to consider Vamelka, and that then leads to others. It's like simply playing good in Arizona instantly makes an Arizona player 
pop up in trade rumors now. For example, just entering prime age, the all-star of a year ago, Clayton Keller, was the latest Sportsnet and 32 Thoughts. Jeff Merrick asked about player if he could be considered untouchable. The short answer is no. No one in Arizona is untouchable. The longer answer is, of the age group Arizona kept on the team, for the core to build around, there shouldn't be more than two or three that Arizona GM Bill Armstrong should move on from. Ideally, and Jacob Chikrin included, that 20-something core they have in place should all be kept. And that's why it's a king's ransom GM Armstrong is asking for Chikrin, who wants a trade. It isn't a requirement for Arizona, nor is it the best scenario for them to do it. If Chikrin moves on and in the same year, few year younger, Connor Timmons has, while Arizona needs, for example, Yanis Moser and Yusuf Valamaki of that same age group still to be in Arizona's D group going forward. They can't move them all. Same with the forwards. So is Clayton Keller untouchable? No. But if you think teams are going to get a deal with Arizona for Keller or Lawson Kraus and several others of the team's key to the rebuild pieces, the core they're building it around, Arizona might move one of them, i.e. why said Max two players, Chikrin, of course, because he's asked to be traded the other. The rest of the forward group, including Barrett Hayton, Christian Fisher, needs to stay. So let's say Keller and Kraus' asking price is right up there where Chikrin's is and why it's more likely they aren't going anywhere because they have the most value to the rebuild with Arizona keeping them. And the same could be said for Chikrin if he had a change of heart. That core in place is needed in a proper rebuild. And I say it because I'm confident Arizona GM Armstrong understands that. And that's the key person needed to understand it. Arizona division head-to-head record is 0-2-2. Arizona's home for three games starting Friday as they host the New York Islanders. Saturday, Buffalo and Montreal. Arizona then plays a road game in Vegas and is home to L.A. Chicago at 7-16-4, 18 points in 27 games played, stay last in the Division 8, 333-point percentage, going 1-4-0 since our last pod. Chicago ended an eight-game losing streak that goes back into that last pod and have lost four straight since. After Friday's loss and not playing till Tuesday, Chicago entered Saturday's game already having the NHL's lowest goals for at 62 and NHL low 65 after Tuesday's game. Two and a half into the first, Chicago's reached Johnson's net front. Tim has Chicago up one to nothing after 20. Chicago get two power play goals in the second a minute apart, five on three by Patrick Kane and five on four from Max Domi. New York Rangers get a power play goal late in the second for Chicago to have a 3-1 lead through 40. Chicago goalie Peter Morazic, one goal against 21 saves, left the game after 40, but was the winning goalie of record despite Chicago goalie Arvid Soderbloom finishing the game. Chicago's Taylor Radish nets a power play goal less than five minutes into the third. Late in the third, Rangers get a 5-on-4 goalie-pulled goal before Chicago's Max Domi adds an empty net goal as Chicago wins on the road 5-2 in MSG over the Rangers. 
Scoreless first between Chicago and the New York Islanders. The Owls put together a three-goal middle frame, all even strength. The opening goal, Chicago goalie Arvid Soderblom used his skate to pull back the puck out of the net as play continued on. The review confirmed the puck crossed the line. The last two came 43 seconds apart. No goals in the third as Chicago on 21 shots on goal for the game were held off the score sheet falling 3-0 on the road. Although outshot 13-10 in the first, it's New Jersey with a 1-0 lead at home after one over Chicago. Although Chicago goalie Arvid Soderblom had to make more high-danger saves. New Jersey add two goals in the second, including a power play goal to go up by three. A scoreless third, and Chicago is shut out with 24 shots in goal for a second consecutive game. Chicago's Taylor Radish's second period goal cut Winnipeg's 2-0 lead by one to end the Chicago goal scoring drought, while the 3-1 home loss score flatters the Blackhawks. It was a Winnipeg team on the road on the second game of back-to-back games when Chicago wasn't, with Winnipeg playing their backup goalie David Riddich and again paltry 23-shot on goal effort by Chicago. The division game is also covered in the Winnipeg segment of the four-part podcast. In his return to the lineup, first game since October 25th, Chicago's Tyler Johnson's third goal of the year with a minute left in the first cuts Washington's lead in half for Chicago to be down 2-1 to to the Caps after one. Chicago's Jonathan Taze power play goal comes between Washington goals in the middle frame to give Washington a 4-2 lead through 40. Washington's Alex Ovechkin completes his hat trick in the third, notable as his 800th career goal to join only Gordie Howe and Wayne Gretzky as NHL players to do it in that exclusive club. Another Washington goal before Chicago's Max Domi with just under two minutes to go gets a goal before Chicago surrender another Washington goal that has Chicago lose at home 7-3. Peter Morazic returned from injury. Let's not bemoan Chicago goalie Peter Morazic's latest recovery from injury, a groin injury, because while he did leave with only one goal against against a New York Ranger team that is underperforming to high expectations, the three prior outings was a seven goal against versus Winnipeg, five goal against versus Dallas, and six goal against game versus Boston. His return, 23 saves and seven goals against versus Washington at home. Let's just not pin it to how at age 23, Chicago goalie Arvid Soderblom, who is supposed to be developing in the American Hockey League, not carrying the starters minutes at the NHL, because both Vets, Morazic and Alex Stalock are supposed to be this year's tantum, right? Or as I said at the season's outset, would they stay healthy enough to do it? Which is why I at least wanted a younger goalie playing as a starter. At 13 games played and also 11 games started, it's in fact Soderblom already with the most time backstopping Chicago. Hopefully this doesn't stunt his development confidence like his Chicago GM Kyle Davidson trade for a playing in the AHL Dallas goalie Anton Hudobin. And before you ruin the only goalie prospect the organization has by not doing that, and actually any AHL caliber 
not always on injured reserve, playable 20 something goalie, specifically prime aged 25 to 29 year old, is a goalie Chicago should target. Soderbloom should not have to endure this. Jonathan Taves missed the game in this stretch, but the lack of goal scoring is what is the biggest challenge here. In fact, it's St. Louis, that's team defense, and goals against, that is the worst in the division, and not Chicago. But as I mentioned off the top, Chicago is 32nd in goals for. Even the combo of Taves and Patrick Kane as line mates simply isn't generating. If you pick a bright spot, the New York Ranger win, that was probably driven by Chicago going 3-4 for four on the power play. It also, even in the loss to Edmonton, the pod prior, made that score, although a loss, look more respectable. Chicago is in the top half of the league with their power play. That special team actually won Chicago a game. Just a reminder that Taylor Radish, with eight goals, playing up the lineup, is this year's Chicago's Brandon Hagel of a year ago. Radish is now third, a goal behind Jonathan Taves, second, who's a goal behind the power play propped up Max Domi's team leading 10 goals, that six have come on the man advantage. What's the over-under on GM Davidson trading Radish at 24 years of age for futures? Won't happen, right? But Hagel. What clearly doesn't matter to a team's win-loss record that I have said for several years now is being good or bad at face-off win percentage. And saying that puck possession analytics begin there is, well, Chicago proving, as another example this year, a theory that ought to be outright dismissed as I have of it. And to downright being debunked. Chicago is first in the NHL in face-off win percentages and last in the NHL in goals for. Face-off win percentage is, again, as I have said for years now, a way too overvalued stat that does not reflect how good a team's goal differential that does matter to winning and losing is worth talking about. I see teams with lower face-off win percentages win more games and B, playoff teams, and teams with near-best face-off win percentages miss the playoffs while being great in that metric. Also, when it comes to the divisional four-point games, Chicago is still looking to get its first one this year. And another quantifier, this team is nearly equally bad at home as they are on the road, consistently as bad Either way, Chicago is currently a .028 point percentage better than I had predicted at season's outset. Right now, it actually is a prediction most close to actual results, unfortunately for Chicago fans. Chicago's division head-to-head record is 0-6-1. Up next, Chicago continues with the last of three at home. Thursday, they host Pacific leading Vegas. They go play a road division game in Minnesota the next night. Chicago, after Minnesota, return home to play three, starting with the New York Rangers division game versus Nashville and host, finally, the Columbus Blue Jackets. Pacific Division, bottom pair comparable, San Jose and Anaheim. Even in Arizona's loss in San Jose between the division's second-worst respective teams 
in their division, San Jose's 403 point percentage remains lower than Arizona's currently is. While San Jose does have 25 points, they also required four more games played to get to that total. Arizona's tank is better for it. Had the Coyotes won in regulation, they would have moved a point ahead and not be three points back, and they would have had those four games in hand. That's keeping Arizona's tank real in the Shark Tank. Chicago hasn't been winning much of late yet. Anaheim still remain a point behind with 17 points and a .283 point percentage. That's the NHL's worst. Chicago at 18 points and that .333 point percentage is second last in the NHL. But if the goal for Arizona and Chicago is to be last overall, at least that's what the GMs want, Anaheim is not helping the cause and they have played three more games than Arizona and Chicago as well. That finishes the four pairings division podcast, and I will look to see if I keep the division teams in this format or at times do a full 18 pod and hope to have something drop podcast wise on Monday and quickly continue as needed to cover all the division eight.